0: The following talk is from St. Michael's Fulwell, a gospel-centered community for Fulwell, Teddington and beyond. Our passion is to see every life following Jesus. For more information, visit our website, stmichaelsfullwell.co.uk. Today's reading is in Psalms 1, page 543, verse 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the the Lord, and who meditates on his law days and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yield its fruits in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do, prosper. Not so the wicked, they are like chaff, that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the law watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destructions. Amen. morning, everyone. Phoebe, thank you so much for reading for us. Um, as usual, there's a, a handout under the chairs in the middle, if you'd like to pass those along. And... Um, Uh, Last night, as I was um, putting finishing touches to the sermon, and Eurovision was on in the background, with family watching it and me sort of paying occasional attention, um, as Graham Norton introduced each of the the, the competing songs, he would say with his Irish accent, Song 1 or Song 2, I kept, my brain kept hearing it as Psalm 1, Psalm 2, and I kept thinking, really, really, really? Oh no, it's not, is it? Um... But it's a good reminder that, as Ed said, the Psalms are the songbook of the Bible. Every psalm is a, a cry of the heart expressed to God, on one level, therefore, very human, but also in Scripture for us, and therefore God's word to us as well. These are extraordinary and unique songs that are here to, to bless us. And uh, despite how old they are, sort of 3,000 or so years old, um, they, because they are God's word to us connect in unique ways with human life and the, 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 the experiences and joys and struggles today and this little two week series we've called it the King's Choir that seemed like a good title for some reason after last week um, but also because although the Psalms never mention Jesus by name they were written hundreds or a thousand years before he came in another sense they are all about him. And we'll see that in Psalm 1 this morning. So let's begin and pray together. Father God, we thank you for this precious part of the Bible. These words that are both from you and a cry of the heart in all sorts of different ways. And we pray that you would minister to each one of us through Psalm 1, this foundational psalm this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. The whole book of Psalms opens with this big picture, this image in Psalm 1, which is a great contrast. Uh, Which of these two things does your life feel like? Is it a great tree planted by streams of water? You see that in verse 3. There's a beautiful description in verse 3 of A tree or your life being fruitful. It doesn't wither when life is difficult, when storms or drought or trouble comes. Your life prospers. We've got to understand that properly. We'll come back to that. But this picture is of a tree that is rooted and fruitful and enduring, a flourishing life that can't be destroyed by the changing circumstances of life. Sound good? You want that? The contrast is in verse 4, the total opposite. Chaff. I've tried to capture it in the little pictures on your your handout. Chaff that the wind blows away. Chaff is sort of bits of of husk around a a kernel in a crop that just sort of peel off and float away. They're not good for anything. They just sort of get blown away by the wind. And so you can see in that, that second picture, there's a dry tree. It's far away from the water. It looks dead and it's slowly just disintegrating, being blown away. Now, right at the beginning of the book of Psalms, we're presented with those two contrasting pictures of the human life. Be honest with yourself. Um, When you think about your own life, when you have moments of introspection and vulnerability and sort of pondering, where is my life going? What's it all about? Is it going well? Is it not going well? Well, How much does your life feel like the rooted tree that is flourishing? And how much uh, does it feel like the chaff that is blowing away? Do you feel secure, flourishing, untroubled by the difficulties in life? Not needing or fearing anything because you have everything you need. Or does it feel rootless, uh, drifting, unsettled, insecure, swept around? By the circumstances of life. Vulnerable. Frail maybe. Not sure if you really have lasting safety or security. Or value or purpose. Beyond the superficial kind of things. The book of Psalms gets right in there doesn't it? From the first one. We're straight into this kind of existential cry of the heart. Is my life... Something rooted and fruitful and lasting, or is it temporary and fleeting and just going to be blown away? As I prepared for this, I I found, I don't know if anyone's come across it, a popular resource called A Rooted Life. Uh, I don't know if you've seen it at all. It's a kind of secular lifestyle guide. It seems very popular from what I can tell. Um, And here's how the advertising for it tells us we can get a rooted life. Three things. We need to connect to self, and that means having a a sort of healthy awareness of who we are physically and emotionally. And if you dig into that, it talks about things like gut health and brain health and emotional balance and fitness and posture. All great things to pay attention to. Connect to self. Connect to nature, which is explained as a sort of healthy awareness of our place in the natural ecosystem. And uh, things like a healthy respect for the environment, a a peaceful enjoyment of the natural world, leaving nature in a better shape than we find it, that's that's all great. Connect to others, that's the third thing. So having healthy relationships with others in our community, relationships that bless and enrich each other, positive, non-toxic interactions with others. And it says those are the three ways that we need to be healthily connected, rooted to ourselves, to nature, to each other. And then we'll have a properly rooted life. And the promise of the advertising is that through doing that we will fulfill our purpose to become the bravest, most joy-filled and most resilient expressions of ourselves. I don't know if you're the kind of person that reads adverts like that and thinks I need a bit of that. Those things sound good, they sound healthy. I could do with moving in that direction a little bit in practical ways. Now, There's lots that's good and common sense and attractive about that. And it is the kind of advice you see all over the place, isn't it? People in society are asking those existential questions. What is my life? Is it going well? Can I redirect it and be healthier and more rooted and grounded? Do I have a purpose? Am I satisfied? Whether you're a sort of teenager asking the existential questions or uh, 20s and 30s in the middle of the night plagued with a a crisis or middle age when you wonder have I done life well is it is it going all right or old age when mortality might begin to feel a little bit uh, more pressing no wonder there's this massive industry out there trying to tell us how to be rooted and how to be satisfied and do life well but there is something tragically missing about uh, many of those lifestyle guides and self-help manuals. Lots that's helpful, as I said. It's not just a missing component. It's not just something to add to the other three. It is the foundation of it all that we can't do without. It is the missing overall purpose of life, without, without which all the rest of it stays unrooted. And Psalm 1 shows us, I think, that you can be connected to self and nature and others, but still be chaff, still be unrooted in the most important sense. What we need most of all is to be rooted in the God who made us. Look at verse 2. Verse 2 talks about having our delight In the law of the Lord, meditating on his law day and night, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water. It is being rooted in the Lord and what he says that gives us this life that is flourishing. Uh, Verse 6 as well. The Lord watches over the way of the righteous. That is the person whose life is nourished and protected and doesn't disintegrate like chaff. So you can try to have all these other kinds of connectedness and and, and healthy and satisfying life, but if you're still disconnected from the God who made us, the God who sustains and enables our lives, the God who, Acts 17 says, gives us life and breath and everything else, well, what's going to happen if you disconnect from the one who gives life and breath and everything else? if we're separated from that, that is not going to end well. That is the picture here. God, more than anyone or anything else, is the one that we need if we're going to flourish and grow and not wither away in life. He is the water of life in this picture, the streams that are never failing, that we need to be rooted into so that we won't dry up and disintegrate into chaff. I don't know where everybody's at here this morning. I don't know, maybe you've heard what I've said so far, and you think, yeah, but but I don't feel a need for God particularly. I'm pretty satisfied with that other stuff in life. Maybe other people are kept up at night with existential angst or whatever it is, or longings for rootedness, but I'm okay, I'm fine, I just do life. But ask yourself, even if that's how you feel, how long can that be sustained how long can you keep saying, I'm fine, before things do start to drift apart and disintegrate? In the end, life is fragile. None of us knows how long we have. None of us know what storms of life we'll face in the meantime. It's great to be praying for our brothers and sisters in Sudan who are c- confronted by that in a very immediate way. But Psalm 1 confronts all of us with life and its urgency. But this is not just about need, our need to be rooted. This is actually also, and even primarily in this psalm, about joy, about happiness. The very first word of the psalm, the first word of the whole songbook of the psalms, is what? Blessed. Now that draws us in straight away. Do you want blessing in your life? You want to say no to that? Um, not, not, not blessing in a superficial sense. You know those uh, social media posts that people sometimes put up—pictures of themselves looking beautiful on a beach somewhere—and uh, uh, underneath, hashtag blessed. Blessing means much, much more biblically than just happy circumstances. It means being happy in the fullest sense, the richest possible sense, not. Dictated by circumstances whether life's going well or or not Um, but including all of those things over the long term that the lifestyle industry talks about the mental health and physical health and spiritual well-being, all of those things and more but permanent not short term happiness not transient happiness but deep rooted lasting, truly satisfying happiness if we're honest, um, a lot of life Is about a search for that. And uh, people try to seek it through relationships or career or home or holidays or money or possessions or a million other ways. And Psalm 1 speaks into that search for satisfaction, for a happy life in the deepest possible sense. And tells us where to find that. And uh, as I put on your sheet, verse 1 tells us how not to be blessed... And verse 2 tells us how to be blessed. So dig into that. Verse 1, how not to be blessed. Look at what happens in verse 1. Look at the the movement that happens in verse 1. Here is somebody who is walking somewhere, and then they stand where they've got to, and then they sit down where they've got to. So walking away and standing somewhere and then sitting there. Now this is the story of humanity. Walking away from God, choosing our own way. If you look at those two pictures on the handout, this is walking away from that stream where the flourishing can be found, the abundance from God. And then walking, of course, away from that into dryness, into desert, from... Paradise to emptiness, from Eden to the wilderness, from water to dryness, from rootedness to to chaff. And that is the, the tragic direction that the Bible says humanity as a whole has been walking since the very beginning away from God, away from his streams of water. That's why we live in a world that's, yes, full of beauty and wonder and great uh, signs of God's creative wonders. And yet, trouble and illness and difficulty and death. And, and in that walk away from God, we are surrounded by many, many others. And it can feel like being swept along. You can see that in, those, in, in verse 1. First walking in step with people, then uh, going the same way. Uh, Then then standing together in that wilderness, and then sitting together there. And those words, the, the wicked, the sinners, the mockers, you can use those words to describe particular people and particular kinds of behavior, but they can also describe all of humanity. Romans 3 tells us, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The overall drift of humanity is in that direction, away from the life giving stream of the Lord, into the desert of dryness. If we live life on autopilot, if we never think about this, then we'll just be carried in that flow and we'll go with everybody else. That is what we've all done. Not just this generation, every generation. We walk off into the wilderness and we sit there, away from the water drying out in danger of becoming chaff we've got to be aware of that that's such an important thing to wake up to as human beings if we just go with the flow the flow has been away from god parents if we just leave our kids to go with the flow the direction of travel is away from god what are we going to do about that and by the way That direction of travel, that walking away, setting up life away from God, can feel very exciting. It can feel like moving with the times. It can feel like sort of cultural development and being brave and moving on from old stuff. And it can feel progressive. And I don't mean that in in the sense of those cultural wars we have between conservative and progressive. In some ways, the cultural changes that we see at the moment have been good. You know, it's a good thing that the Me Too movement has exposed sexual abuse of all kinds. It is a good thing that lots of um, protections are now in society that that weren't there before. But there are bad directions as well, and we don't notice them. Whenever the drift is away from God, we're drifting away from blessing uh, and from lasting happiness, from safety, from rootedness, into that dryness and that vulnerability. That is why Psalm 1 is a fantastic invitation. That's why the the whole Bible actually is an invitation. It's an invitation to come back. Come back from the desert. Come back from the wilderness, the dryness, the unrootedness, if that's where you are. Come back to God, to the water of life. Come back to the, the streams from him that will make us flourish. So verse 1 is about how not to be blessed. Verse 2 is about how, how to be blessed. Come back to God. And as verse 2 says, it means delighting in the law of God, meditating on his law day and night. Now, maybe that's, that feels like an anticlimax. You're thinking, oh, I want to know how to be blessed. And then it says uh, th- the law of God, meditating on that. Um, let's talk about that for a minute, shall we? Um, that doesn't necessarily immediately feel like that's going to be the source of great blessing for us. The law of God here um, is the Hebrew word Torah, uh, which just refers to uh, the the, the first number of books of the Old Testament. So it really, it's not just talking about the commandments, but all that God says. Everything he says about himself and the world and and how how we can live. And uh, verse two tells us this is where Delight can come from the blessing that we want and need. We can find it in here, in God's word. Now, have you experienced that? I don't know if you've experienced that. Here at St Michael's, we we believe very firmly that the Bible is God's word, uh, and that therefore it is true, and it's something we need, and we try to read it and take it very seriously because it's true. But actually, much more than that, it's not just enough to say it's true. If verse 2 says the Bible can bring delight and blessing into our lives, have we experienced that? It can bring joy, satisfaction. God's word can capture our minds and our hearts and our longings and, and bring us into this blessing that Psalm 1 is talking about, this deep happiness that is not just circumstantial but lasts through the joys of life. Think about what the Bible does, what the Bible says to us. It is real about who we are. It's real about the problems we face, the state of our lives and our hearts, the state of this world. And it shows us God. It shows us God's awesome creative power his majesty his glory but also his love for us his tenderness towards us his compassion towards us his grace towards us and in particular it shows us jesus it shows us that god himself came to earth actually stepped into the wilderness where where we had taken ourselves away from him came into the desert. Remember John the Baptist announcing Jesus standing in the desert, a great picture of where humanity had put ourselves, standing in the wilderness, saying, prepare the way for the Lord. God is coming. And the Lord came to us in the wilderness. God's word calls out to us in the wilderness, extends God's mercy and grace to us entices us back into a relationship with him, roots us back where we belong in a relationship with the one who made us, pours into our lives the refreshing streams of the water of life in all kinds of ways as his word takes us deeper and deeper into our relationship with him in so many different ways when we experience God's word like that oh, it sets us free it liberates us we're liberated from the kind of desires that cling to us and, and pull us into the desert away from God it, it strips away the self-centeredness and we start to delight in belonging to him and in loving others Yeah, as I've prepared for this, I've realized there's a reason the Bible so often refers to us as things like seeds or branches or fruit or plants or trees in different ways. We, we need to be planted, rooted in God to flourish. God's Word can do that for us. Now maybe you hear all of that and you still think, look, I've tried that. I've tried reading the Bible and I don't find it very easy. I find it, ironically, dry sometimes or difficult or boring or irrelevant or unpleasant in parts or maybe you can see there's some joys to be found in looking in the bible but to be honest um, other things in life seem more interesting and more pressing more urgent more exciting delight and the pursuit of blessing and happiness and, and delight seem to come from other places in your experience and maybe even when you have time It just feels instinctive or natural to choose something else, whether it's Netflix or social media or whatever else it is, other than time in God's word, seeking that that refreshing stream. Look, if that is you, you're in very good company. I think that is a struggle all of us have. Um, Sometimes uh, I think God does give us a wonderful hunger for God's word. I heard last week of somebody who's just starting to read the Bible for the first time, and they can't put it down. It's wonderful. They're just discovering Jesus for the first time for themselves. But sometimes, let's be real, the temptations of our hearts and our lives make it uh, tricky. That instinct to pull away from God is still there. And scripture can feel like an acquired taste that you have to kind of work at, or a bit of a slow burner. If your feelings about God's word... Uh, the law of God that can bring such delight. If your feelings about it right now are, are not hugely positive, be encouraged. That can change. God can work in, in our hearts. Um, I've had times in my life where I've really needed God to change my my feelings about God's word. And, and thrill me with it afresh. Ask God. Ask God for the help of his spirit as you look at the Bible together. And you've got help. Make make, make, most, make the most of each other. Uh, small groups after Sundays, we can talk about these things. We can be encouraged by the insights of others into all that God says in his word as we chat about things. We've got help. Actually, verse two gives us a bit of practical advice. It talks about meditating on God's word. Uh, what does that mean, meditating on God's word? I think because of... Um, various other forms of meditation, Eastern meditation and so on, we, we get an impression that meditation is sort of emptying your mind. Um, in Hebrew, meditation actually means speaking, speaking within our heart. And so it's not emptiness, it's not void, because uh, otherwise we're, we're removing everything, including God, from, from our, our hearts. But it's responding to God's word. Let God speak to you in his word and then as you try and figure out what it means, as you try and work out how that connects to life and can bring uh, good news and delight into your life, have a conversation with God in your heart. That's what meditating on God's word means. Read the Bible like that. Let, let the Bible inspire thoughts and then speak those thoughts to God and those can be confused thoughts. Those can be thoughts where you're wrestling or engaging. You can voice your questions in prayer inside your heart as you meditate on God's word. And then you can uh, voice your trust and your love or your sorrow or your repentance or your determination to follow where God leads as you read his words. People in previous generations used to say, um, practice the presence of God. And I always used to be a bit confused about what that meant. But it means God is present with you, so live as if he is. He is there, so when you read the Bible, don't, don't read it as if he's not there. Read it as if he is, because he is. And you can engage with him in conversation, in meditation on his word. And if we do that, God will, over time, it may, may not come easy, it may not come quickly, but over time, God will redirect our lives and show us new ways to live and new choices to make that are different from those desert choices that we would make without him. And we begin to find a different kind of happiness that is not attached to circumstances. It's not a sort of um, constant smile on your face kind of happiness, uh, this, this blessedness. Um, it doesn't come from feathering our nest and making things nice and, and just having sort of high emotions, But it's a a deep sense of security and trust in God, knowing that whatever happens in this life, and and this life can throw really horrible things at us, that in the Lord we're safe, we're okay. In fact, um, there are three fantastic things in verse 3 that um, will be true of us. And uh, let me summarize it in three words. uh, Fruitful, enduring, and flourishing. We'll be living fruitful lives. We'll yield fruit in season, as verse 3 says. um, So our lives will fulfill the purposes that God has for us. They won't be meaningless or thrown away. I loved what um, John Piper wrote about fruitful people. He says, You know them, they are refreshing and nourishing to be around. You go away from them fed, you go away strengthened. You go away with your taste for spiritual things awakened. Their mouth is a fountain of life. Their words are healing and convicting and encouraging and deepening and enlightening. Let's be fruitful amongst each other. Enduring. It says uh, our leaf will not wither. Look, there's no promise that the blessed life will be easy. In fact, I think this verse assumes that it won't be. Storms will come. Dry seasons will come. Troubles and difficulties will come. But rooted in God and His Word, we won't wither. Sometimes that is what blessing looks like. There's a a dry wind howling through, Uh, there's no rain. The trees far away from the stream are are withering and dying. But if we're next to the stream, we'll keep growing, we'll keep uh, uh, alive. And our our happiness, our sense of God's presence and protection and our relationship with him are not destroyed, um, even by the worst of times. There are people in church at the moment going through really, really hard times, troubling things, sad and fearful things, and yet they've said their faith in Jesus is solid because he hasn't let them down and he won't. And the third thing, flourishing. Whatever they do prospers. Given what I've just said, this is clearly not just about uh, making a ton of money, living an easy life where everything goes smoothly. It means God will grow us through life. It's the opposite of withering and dying. In good times, and sometimes especially in hard times, God will supply the water that we need to grow. And maybe we look back and realize we've grown more sometimes through the hard times than in Uh, the good times. Because we've learned to depend on God a bit more, his provision and sustaining of us. Now let's just quickly get to the end of the psalm. Psalm 1 takes us uh, through these two choices, these two lives, and fast forwards us to the end. And one kind of life will not endure. We've seen how in verse 4 that the wind blows the chaff away. If we Separate ourselves from God who gives us life and breath and everything else. We can't keep going forever without him. And in verse 5 it says the judgment will show that, will reveal that. Uh, The chaff can't stand on the judgment. Verse 6 says our way will have led to destruction. And Psalm 1 appeals to our hearts don't choose that. Don't choose a life that stays forever away from the one who gives us life and breath and everything else. Come back from the desert to the life-giving stream. Come back. Maybe we think about where our lives are going and we fear that end and we feel vulnerable. And being a Christian doesn't protect you from uh, fragility of, of health and decay and death. They come all too easily. So what's the difference? The difference is... The Lord, in verse 6, watches over us. Our lives have been brought under his eternal care. And the fruitfulness and endurance and prospering will never end. And it's Jesus who's done that for us as we finish. Actually, when you think about someone, the more you think about it, the more you think, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can uh, come back and... And stay and and have this hunger for God's word and and live the right way. I don't know if I can do that. And I've tried and I can't do it perfectly. Well, there is one who has. And there's only one person who has lived Psalm 1 perfectly. And that is Jesus himself. You could say Psalm 1 is completely about him. Although it's obviously about everyone's life as well. But Jesus has done that for us. He gives us righteousness. Righteousness. 1 Peter 3 speaks of Jesus giving his life, the the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. Jesus' death brought us from the wilderness back into uh, uh, the the water of God. So what I want to do is is pray, and I'm going to pray that we'd know God's mercy and pray that we would uh, walk in... Uh, the place of fruitfulness, walk with the Lord, that we would receive from his word this water that we need for life and not think that we can find it in the desert. So let's bow our heads and pray. And I'm going to use the words of his mercy is more, which are so uh, apt and helpful for this. Let's pray together. Patience would wait as we constantly roam. What Father so tender is calling us home? He welcomes the weakest, the vilest, the poor. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. Father, thank you for calling us back from the desert. Thank you for your mercy that forgives our sins when we come to Jesus. We pray that you'd help us to receive it afresh this morning. And please grow in each one of us a love, a delight in your word as you minister to us. Help us to receive satisfaction, not from anything besides you, but from growing in you. In Jesus' name we pray.